for some reason, we started talking in a Cockney accent. Has someone Cockney just recently joined your team? No, no one at all. Okay. We're all, <laughs> we all have normal American accents. Normal, pish. <laughs> pish tosh, I say. And then uh, whenever someone just starts explaining a design, we'd be like, right, yeah, right. You got it, yeah. But what if the, the UX doesn't stand out, yeah? <laughs> just like absolutely horrible. And it's gotten to a point where we started saying words like, well, yeah, well, it's only like 20 quid, isn't it? <laughs> it's so bad. I want to apologize to all British people. I am very interested in the is this a show handle on Twitter. A couple of episodes ago, we uh, regaled you with a story of how we did not have the rightful Twitter account uh, for our show. And we are now, is this the show FM? I hate that it's FM because that implies radio and this isn't radio. We're not at all on the radio. I messaged them. Hmm. Well, actually, no, I, I tweeted at them. And then I said, hey, we have a DM for you. Because we, on the show, we had uh, offered a fancy pour-over at... Joe's. Joe Pro Shop. Joe Pro Shop. Uh, We'd offered them a tour of the Spotify office. And Mm -hmm. Sam had offered to design them a a new logo. So I tweeted at them. So, hey, follow us. We have a DM for you. Uh, And they did. And they followed us. So Mm -hmm. then I DM'd them and gave them a timestamped link to the part of the show where we made the generous offer Mm -hmm. the barter and then the trail went cold Okay, there was no reply so last week I then tweeted them again or rather DM'd them again and explicitly put out the terms of our barter was it like an ultimatum style or was it just a friendly well you know right now I'm trying to keep it casual you know Okay. light hearted so this is the message I then sent to at is this the show. Happy New Year. Here is our offer. In exchange for your Twitter handle, we will treat you and a guest to a fancy pour over coffee at Joe, a tour of the Spotify office the next time you are in NYC. My co-host Sam is also offering some of his design expertise. Is any of that in any way appealing? <laughs> Perhaps I was underselling that with the last sentence now that I look back on it. But <laughs> there we go. Uh, and that was sent on the 6th of January. So no reply from that? No reply, no. And huh. we don't even have uh, read receipts because this isn't Facebook. So I think we're gonna up, we are going to need to up the stakes. I think what if we also offer $20? I'm down for $20. Are we going to split the $20 so we both pay $10? Or is it $20 from our, is this to show, bank account? <laughs> That would be amazing if we could find $20 in the Is This The Show bank account. <laughs> this is, we, I'm going to tw- DM them live on air. Okay, let's do this. Okay. So, uh, so this is what I was kind of thinking of writing. Oh, so you're playing hardball, eh? <laughs> if they have absolutely no sense of humor, they're just going to think that we're being total dicks. <laughs> I know, right? No, they do have sense, because you, as you said... When you were, when we started the investigation, they do have some like amusing re- replies and tweets, right. don't they? So, oh, so you're playing hardball, eh? Okay, let's get crazy. Nope, let's <laughs> let's get serious. <laughs> let's get serious! Exclamation point. <laughs> so yeah, I'm using punctuation here. So uh, saying, oh, so so you're playing hardball, eh? Question mark! Question exclamation point mark. Okay, let's get serious! <laughs> exclamation mark. We'll offer. 
all the above and a crisp $20 note. How about uh, as well as a Spotify t-shirt? Nice. You can you can source those? Wow, Sam, you're good. I can find one in the office. Okay. How shall I how shall I sign off? Um yours barteringly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to say what a deal. <laughs> <laughs> What a savings. <laughs> yes. Uh, wait, what do people say on, like, the cheesy infomercials? But wait, there's more. Uh, let's do that. Of crisp $20 note. But wait, there's more. Okay, that's, that's great. You're Sam, you're a genius. So, we will offer all of the above and a crisp $20 note. Double line return. But wait. Mm-hmm. That's... But wish. Jeez, that's not, that's not all. Reply today and <laughs> <laughs> claim... Oh, what the fuck? Let's do two Spotify t-shirts. Okay. Claim a Spotify t-shirt for you and... A friend. A friend. Perfect. Call 1-800-THIS-IS-THE-SHOW. <laughs> Not FM. <laughs> or reply to this DM. I <laughs> <laughs> put Edwin and Sam. Do you mind going second? I don't mind. I was just doing alphabetically. That has been sent. And that concludes our segment on the at Is This The Show Twitter handle saga. For now. <laughs> For now. Exactly. To be continued. TBC on COU. So that I put this final corrections, omissions, and updates. Because I think I should have asked you when we were having our discussion on great films of the 90s and you revealed your sensitivity to head size in movie stars i don't know if it's like a sensitivity if it's it's more like you know how like um certain people with esp are very sensitive to uh the nature but they don't necessarily call it sensitivity it's more like they're in tune with what's around them uh and they might sometimes perform exorcisms with penny whistles Exactly. <laughs> with iron, with original Clark iron whistles, tin whistles. Oh, the tin whistle, wasn't it? Yes. But yeah, so um, I obviously have a, uh, well, a, I would a say it's, pro- a it's gift. A pro- yeah, it's a gift. <laughs> a gift for noticing movie star head sizes. Right. I wanted you to rank the top three largest heads in movie stardom. Right. So I want to say I am measuring this by. Um, I would say true head size. What I perceive to be the true head size. Because anyone yeah. can see relative head size, and obviously relative head size doesn't necessarily just um, do it for me. It has to be like true head size. So, mm-hmm. Well, you are quite a scholar in this subject. <laughs> I'm going to go reverse order. Oh, yes. Five to one. Great. Yes. This is how I've learned. You've, you've taught me, Sam, to do the countdowns in reverse order. <laughs> <laughs> so five is uh, Tom Cruise. I feel that he has a very large head, mm-hmm. which not a lot of people uh, mm, yes. see. Yeah, that like he wouldn't have made my list. I don't even have a mm-hmm. list. But yeah, but the, he's also short. So he's short, yeah, right? Yeah. But if you just look at his face, he looks like he's six foot three. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but he has a six he is foot three fact, person's like, head, five foot eight on a five foot eight person's body. Number four. Yep. Kurt Russell. There's one scene in um, one of my favorite movies is uh, from from the '90s. It's called Tango and Cash. Okay, it's so Tango Russell. in Paris for a second. Like, no. no, it's far worse. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Tango and Cash is, like is a, cop a buddy drama. It's a buddy cop movie. Cop buddy buddy cop. Yeah, <laughs> action comedy with Sylvester Stallone and <laughs> Kurt Russell. That sounds amazing. I want. To see he that. has in one scene uh, a very '90s slash '80s style 
uh, mane of hair that's all flared out, and all he's wearing is like um, like a tank top and jeans. And my goodness, <laughs> his head is large. <laughs> Number three is Javier Bardem. I have no uh, idea who that is. Uh, no Country for Old Men. Oh, okay, um, that's on my to watch list. He, I believe, he is a Spanish actor. Mm-hmm. Very large head. Okay. But he's also a very large person. But on top of being a very large person, he also has a very large head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, now this is a tie. I can't. I can't really determine who has the bigger head. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if right. you listen to last week's episode, you you know that John Travolta is like, um, who I think has one of the largest heads in Hollywood. Yeah, it's movie ruiningly large for Sam. Right. Yeah. Well, at least one movie ruined. <laughs> right. But this other person also has an enormously large head. Uh, I am, of course, talking about Stephen Fry, who is a oh. British actor. And beloved comedian uh, and entertainer. And tech writer. Yeah, he, he interviewed Johnny Ive in like, a British paper as well. That's a really good point. He does have quite a large head. Yep. Wow. You really are sensitive to these things, because I never <laughs> would have thought of that. <laughs> you are truly a big headmaster. <laughs> Oh, that is the worst. Uh, I can take it, though. I've, I've accepted my, my being. I'm at peace with myself. For the last two weeks, we have been reading, and I hope you have been too, <laughs> The Devil You Know by Mike Carey, picked by Sam. I think we should probably start with a brief synopsis or a kind of an overview. Right. What would be a good log line for this book without spoilers? Reluctant exorcist. Sounds like we're writing a personal ad. Right. <laughs> Seek similar. <laughs> uh, reluctant exorcist gets called into to do a simple job mm-hmm. of exercising a ghost. Yes, but he gets um, more than he bargains for. More than he bargains for, but also finds a deep, dark, hidden secret. That could use some polish, but let's go with that. Yeah, yeah. let's go with that. Uh, mm-hmm. So Felix Caster is a, as you say, a reluctant exorcist, and he is he's like a freelance exorcist. So this is a novel in the, as I understand it, the urban fantasy genre, right. uh, which is kind of set in the present day, but also ghouls and ghosts and monsters and yes. succubus hisses hisses. So it's a it's a world where like uh, apparently the supernatural exists. So people are expectant of ghosts. There mm-hmm. are zombies, and people are aware of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and people are aware that ghosts exist, and um, exorcists are quite common. It seemed, or that is what I got from the setting. And uh, keep popping so, up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So ghosts keep popping up, and then this Felix Caster is an exorcist, and he gets called in to do a job in a. A library or an archive, yeah, and like a city archive that has lots of documents and books. And as you said, what he thinks is a simple exorcism is not so simple. Mm-hmm. And from then on, it kind of turns into a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like a murder mystery, but with some ghosts thrown in. Right. It's a. If I were to categorize it, I would say the supernatural part is just the setting, but in actuality, this book is a hard-boiled fiction, mm. meaning. It is either a detective or uh, some sort of person with a special, you know, uh, power yeah. um, trying to solve uh, a whodunit or a what happened mystery. You suggested a format, which I quite liked for this, mm-hmm. kind of to delve in doing a 
a three by three, although I don't know what the third three is. Oh, so the I third see. three. Oh, yeah. yeah. I should just read what you've written. Okay. <laughs> so a three by three would say three good points, mm-hmm. uh, three bad points, and three points of how you'll proceed with the content. Right. So I say three good, three bad, and three future. Oh, I see. Oh, that's pretty snappy. I like it. Snappy. That's good. Uh, so I think we shall say there are spoilers now. From now right. on, if you mm-hmm. are going to read this book um, and you don't want to be spoiled, then don't listen for the next uh, 20 minutes or so. I'll go first with, some, with three good things. Mm-hmm. I thought there were some quite interesting ideas in here. I think the one that stood out the most for me was the idea that before this novel takes place, so he had performed an exorcism on his friend, but he had mistakenly started to remove his friend's soul rather than the uh, inhabiting soul. Right, which right. I believe was a demon. Yes. And so the demon had taken over his friend's body. Yes. And he was performing an exorcism, but at that point, the exorcism was actually getting rid of his friend's soul. Yes. Yeah, I thought that was really cool too. And what happened instead was like, um, it actually fused his friend's soul with the demon's soul. Yes. So he's now his friend has a kind of a split personality. Mm-hmm. Not to jump directly into the bad, but I wish they'd done more with that because that's and mm. perhaps that is probably fleshed out maybe in future books. Mm-hmm. But that was, um, yeah, I really like that idea. I liked it that it was a uh, proper ho- hard boiled mystery. In what way? When I when I was going into this, I thought it would just be sort of a supernatural novel, like a supernatural fiction. Mm-hmm. But it actually felt more like a um, like a detective story instead. Yes. Uh, a proper detective story and not just um, something like uh, a Buffy episode, if I were to be, if I were to simplify it. Right. And that's, that's the part that I really liked about it is that uh, as he was solving the mystery, it, was, it felt very cinematic mm-hmm. and it felt like he was actually going through and peeling the layers of the onion and getting to the core of the thing, which was very, um, it was fun to read. I like the ending as well mm-hmm. um where it turns out that a a succubus who had been hunting him for most of the last half of the novel turns up wanting to do work experience with him right so that's <laughs> that's what i found interesting as well right like i think there's lots of potential for like future yeah like, subjects like, like that's possibly an interesting novel where he mm-hmm. is teaching a demon from beyond the grave how to be on the grave i don't know what i'm saying uh but yeah he's beyond the nether <laughs> yes um where he's teaching this mm-hmm. uh demon how to be an exorcist with him like that that was that was good i kind of wished i was reading that novel but i thought that's that's a nice setup for future novels for me another good thing was the while the characters were a bit common so mm-hmm. it were like you had that nerdy guy although he was a zombie um that does all the computer work for uh felix um oh yeah yeah they were they were really interestingly done um and i felt that sort of drove the story along without really falling into the basic tropes that you'd normally get from a a story like this you know they were common enough that you got familiar with all the different roles in the in the settings Mm -hmm. but good enough that you can see potential in them to actually be a part of the different stories that are upcoming I would probably fall more on 
the side of them being not quite as inventive. Mm. I think for me, I felt they were fairly standard. But right. you're right, like having the uh, the zombie hacker, that was nice. <laughs> yeah. So I agree. I, I agree that I feel I felt that they're very common. Like those archetypes and those characters are very common. But I also don't like it when the main character just knows how to do everything. Yes, you did certainly get a feeling of ineptitude from Felix Caster. Right. I am struggling to find a third good thing, but I did. <laughs> there was one. There was one little section that I found a little amusing, which was like the taxi chase scene, and they just played with expectations a little bit. Mm. So, uh, if I may, I shall I shall read a little uh, passage for you right now. I swore an oath and legged it after him, since there was no other cab in sight. So, uh, this his foil right now is getting away in another cab, uh, and since there's no, there's no other cab in sight. At Cornhill, I got lucky as one pulled out onto Grace Church Street right in front of me and stopped in response to my frantic hail. Follow the guy in front, I panted. Lovely, the, ca- the cabbie enthused. He was a tubby Asian guy with the broadest Cockney accent I'd ever heard. I've always wanted to do a number like that. You leave it to me, Squire, and I'll see you right. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. Like you, <laughs> When you get the uh, archetypal like person jumps in a cab and like, follow that car. That's kind of funny that the cabbie goes, oh, great, I've never done this before. I've always wanted to do that. Yeah, and the fact that it's an Asian person with a Cockney accent. (laughs) Yeah, I thought thought there were some really interesting choices on uh, a lot of different parts where you thought something would happen, and then it does happen, but it happens in a way where um, just things are slightly changed, and you're like, oh, okay, that was quite amusing. That was a good touch. So my third point is uh, it got me more interested in the the roles of all the characters mm-hmm. by the end of it i thought that was really well done you know just how there was a there was a little bit where uh one of the main antagonists damn john talks about mm-hmm. uh the answers and like where ghosts started coming from okay. and it mm-hmm. seems like you know this world does have like the werewolves and all that stuff and like a heaven and earth uh like a heaven and hell mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. all that doesn't seem to be answered at the time, but the potential of Felix finding out got me curious about the future books. Right. Yeah, like I was I will certainly agree. It felt like a it felt like a lived in world. It felt like a real I don't want to say the word realistic, but it felt believable. It felt like a I never questioned really there were werewolves and really are there zombies. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think it was convincing. So the bad points. Oh my god, I hated this book, Sam. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> oh my god, it drove me crazy. Oh, did it really? Oh my god, so much. <laughs> oh my god. I want to preface this by saying I am I've never written anything in my life. <laughs> and so like this guy Mike Carey is is infinitely way more successful than me already. I'm I'm not a book critic. I just play one on a podcast. So I feel a little crappy ripping apart this book because I probably I have no proof that I can do better, but I think I could do better. <laughs> I think the worst thing for me was just the sloppiness of the writing that really really got to me um like yeah, the, this guy loves similes and they're all terrible it just drove me insane i was like crouched in horror waiting for the next terrible simile to like pop up and just like make me get so mad at the book that i couldn't read it for another like five minutes there's like two particularly egregious uh parts that i want to read um 
this might seem like I'm being pedantic, but I really believe like this stuff matters. Like even if the reader doesn't like pick up on it, I still feel like subconsciously you're like undermining the the words that you're writing. <laughs> so there's a part where Felix is talking about what ghosts are. And uh, let me read it to you right now. Ghosts are reflections in funhouse mirrors, distorted echoes of past emotions, lingering on way past their sell-by date. Now, like, I get the general flavor of what that means. You know, I, mm-hmm. I get the sense of it. But it's just such a clumsy, awful sentence. Like, I had to read it, like, three times to go, really, did he actually write this? So, like, the first <laughs> part. So, the ghosts are reflections in funhouse mirrors. So, we're talking about a visual thing. Yeah. Then they are distorted echoes, which is a sound of past emotions, <laughs> which is a feeling. And then it says... They have ghosts have a sell by date. Like I don't understand why do ghosts have a sell by date? I don't. Oh my god! There was one more bit a little bit later on in the book. So this is when the succubus is chasing him. A feral growl began deep in her throat, built to an ear-hurting bellow in which consonants I couldn't have reproduced even if I hadn't been gagged by McLennan's ward smashed against each other like calving icebergs. <laughs> Like, I had to read that. And again, I had to read that like three times. Just like pick apart exactly. Oh my, yeah, what he's talking about. So consonants, which I couldn't have reproduced, smashed together like calving icebergs. Like, (laughs) the thing is, like, it's almost poetic, but there's just something really clumsy about it. I think that's the whole thing in the book. It just all feels clumsy. Huh. Like, I think he's, like, the plot is fairly good. Right. But I this feels like a first novel, and I think it is his first novel. He came from, like, a comic book background. Ah, so, like, for me, I was always thinking, like, okay, so he's, like, definitely has a handle on plot yeah. and dialogue, but yeah. he can't write for shit. And, like, yeah. there was, like, there's just masses of description. There's, there's, like, paragraphs of description of completely pointless mm-hmm. nonsense that makes has no relevance to the plot and doesn't drive it forward. And, like, I found myself, you know, I was doing my, like, speed reading mm-hmm. uh, tactic. The, Just, uh, like, coming to a stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, could, I found out that, like, most, like, between pages two and 300, I could skip over most of the paragraphs. Because mm-hmm. they are just, it seems they are just, like, a completely idle description <laughs> of nothing at all. Um, okay, so, right. So, there are two more little things I just want to point out. And then I can get off my high horse. Uh, so, there is a... Uh, another demon who works for Damjon, which mm-hmm. who's a who's a pimp, um, and so this demon is like the the muscle mm-hmm. of the crew. So he's like huge. He's like Hagrid, but he's kind of like a werewolf, right? Right. Yeah. So he is having an altercation with uh, with Felix. Mm-hmm. He reached out one ham-sized hand and closed it on a big fistful of my shirt. Buttons popped and fabric tore as he lifted me off the ground. So now this, I stopped in my tracks reading this because I was like, <laughs> "How? Why are buttons popping when he's grabbing you from the front? Right? Like, why would buttons pop off? Like, yeah. okay, like fabric ripping, yes, but like buttons, like, is he grabbing him from the back? I just, it's just like little things like that. Yeah. <laughs> just really got under my like skin. Like the buttons popping had absolutely no use in that description. But like, it, they wouldn't even pop. Like, if right. someone grabbed your shirt from the front, the buttons get smooshed together. They don't pop. There's no. There's no stress being placed on the buttons when someone grabbed your shirt from the front. Right. Oh my God, it just 
Yeah, like the the the, the fabric on the back of your shirt can tear <laughs> right. from the the tightness that's happening. Uh, and then I think the final one that just really really got me really mad was he was. So we go. So Dam John is like a pimp, and he has like a strip club, and so Felix goes back there, and there is a there's a blonde woman who works like on the reception or works mm-hmm. at the bar, and he describes her as a blonde apparition <laughs> in a book about ghosts, and I had to read. I was like, wait, is she a real ghost, or is just using a turn of phrase? It was. I was like, how did that get past the editor? Like. If I, if I was reading it, I was like, you know what? You can't use the phrase blonde apparition in a book about, about ghosts. Right. People will think it's a fucking ghost. So that's just like four egregious examples. Of, right. And like stuff like that just happens throughout the book and drove me a little crazy. Right. So let me get to my bad points. So yes. Uh, so sloppy, sloppy writing. That was my, that's probably my biggest complaint on this book. Right. Was that like one point? Uh, that was. Was that one <laughs> point? Shit. Don't I get to be one point for that? <laughs> I mean, that was under the umbrella of sloppy writing. Okay. <laughs> Let me get to my first point. Is okay. My first point, I listened to the audiobook version of this. Ah, okay. Yeah. So I think I didn't really catch all the nuances because it was just him talking um, through the things. But some of the things did make me scratch my head. Like, what exactly is he talking about? Um, it is laden with British slang as well. It is. And mm-hmm. that's one of the problems that I had with it. I felt like it was too British, almost like a British person didn't actually write it. Oh, yeah, you know, I got that feeling as well. Yeah. Like, British people don't really talk like this. Like, right. is this like a hyper British society they're in? Is that what's yeah, that what like, strange? But like, yes. I would imagine a British book wouldn't mention that he got chocolate from like Sainsbury's. Yeah. Like, even like I like had to do like a double take sometimes of, yeah. some of the 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 words they used yeah and there was just so much emphasis on him being in london and in england it's like oh they went to down that street and went to that pub <laughs> and got a strongbow which is a type of you know <laughs> right <laughs> and i felt you know if that's not really necessary to like like we get it he's in england <laughs> yeah totally so to me it felt like mike carey was actually like not a british person but heavily researched oh my god someone yeah, he, in he wants england to be. yeah and he wants to be one of the other problems i had was the actual the character of felix himself mm-hmm. he was so like so he narrates uh, mm-hmm. the whole book it felt like he was trying really hard to have like his nonchalant character this like wise cracking detective mm-hmm. i just got the feeling that he was so flippant about everything that when he was in danger there was absolutely no peril or there was no sense of danger or or um, tension because yeah. he was just so flippant about it mm-hmm. that uh, he was just I, like, uh, whatever. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> like, oh, look, my ribs have crushed. Right. But I can stand it because I can fix it with the situation. Right. So there's a bit where the werewolf bouncer guy like mm-hmm. smashes his head onto a desk and... Felix's reaction was, or the, the way it's described is, I saw stars and bells and Tweety Birds. You know, like, <laughs> and you're like, you've just had your fucking head smashed into a desk, and like, that's the, d- the description you get? And it just feels like there's no, no sense of, of peril at all. Right. And as such, I was like, yeah, of course he's going to get out of it. So I think my second cue was actually something very similar. 
Okay. Is that he sounded from the audiobook, he just sounded really sleazy. But I think that was just a narrator. But the combination of him being super flippant and super sleazy just uh, made me dislike listening to him from time to time. And so I actually got the Kindle version and started reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think in addition to to that flippancy, like there's like I don't understand his motivation. Mm. Like perhaps I missed that part, but there comes a part in the book, like it's about two hundred and fifty pages in, where he even says, "I could just do this ex uh, this exorcism mm-hmm. and be done with it," but I wasn't going to tell them that. And I was like, "Why didn't you just fucking do it and put us all out of our misery?" <laughs> <laughs> but then there's like I don't like there's no. I don't understand what's driving him on to like complete this case. Like, right. If he can perform the exorcism, which is what he's getting paid to do, and mm-hmm. like the whole driving force is that he's poor and you know we can't pay can't pay the rent. You know, it's not like he doesn't come across as like a good person. It's not like his at least it doesn't feel like it's his morals that's driving him forward to solve this case. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like I don't understand why you are putting yourself in danger, right? And going through all this shit and what's kind of driving driving you to do that yeah it was a little confusing right like there was a lot of discussion but i think i just took it for granted that oh you know this is his true character coming out Mm. he is innately a good person and someone that is not so nonchalant so maybe that was like the redeeming quality of his character maybe that's what they were trying to do right Mm. when i was reading it that didn't come across at all i agree so my third point yes do it is uh the topic of the the murder was actually really grim mm. just like yes the, it was almost too grim right there's like this one thing can't happen we have to put the second and a third <laughs> exactly pile all this misery it was it was like really graphic too and it got me um i it first of all it's disgusting mm-hmm. and it kind of turned me off on the possibility of reaching future novels if it was going to be this morbid. Um, not that, and I don't, I don't usually have uh, problems with um, graphic descriptions and stuff like that, but this one just seemed like it was a little bit excessive and um, indulgent. Yeah. Right. And like out of balance with this like flippant attitude that Felix is supposed to have, or like the rest of the book is supposed to be. Right. And then you suddenly get this like, really awful uh like murder yeah um and like what happens to so when we find out that it's the friendly guy who we thought was our friend all along it was actually him right uh what actually happens to him yeah that wasn't clear yeah like he's done all this fucking awful shit and nothing happens to him yeah like that i was like I was like, surely i must have missed a bit where he was sent to hell for all eternity or was forced to live out the rest of his life in this room or like something but right they just locked him in the room right because they took him back to meet the ghost mm-hmm. right and then that was it he that, left right. for the boat <laughs> right yeah i was like uh this rapist murderer just seems to get away with it I, yeah that was really yeah that, that was i was totally confused by that and I think also in, in in general, like the female characters in this book are completely one dimensional and stereotypical. <laughs> yeah, like, that was just awful. Yeah, there's uh, you know the doting landlady who like makes him dinner and is concerned <laughs> about him. There's like the half 
like the kind of the the sex the love interests right uh slightly flirty woman uh and that's it yeah <laughs> in like there's, there's some demons who are female but mm-hmm. otherwise they're women of the sex workers victims the doting landlady or a love interest and that is it and yep. i was just yeah could have done a better job okay and finally okay i know i'm this may be a fourth point <laughs> <laughs> but we can perhaps lump this in with like the poor plotting and is very deliberately pointed out that he has a phone that sometimes charges and sometimes doesn't and that <laughs> is the whole plot device for like how the mystery gets unraveled at the end and it's just oh my god <laughs> that was so frustrating uh, like i know like mobile phones have probably done more damage in plot lines for writers than any <laughs> other invention in the history of the world because now most you know what used to be a great plot line can now be solved with a single phone call yeah <laughs> but now just having this whole oh my phone sometimes charges but sometimes doesn't yeah <laughs> and so that i think if i had a fourth negative point like it would have been that there are so many plot lines that just ended in things ending with like a nice divisive finish right like things wrapping up because like oh you know then this just happened and he's now okay and that opening scene i was like what the hell am i reading about? like <laughs> This opens with Felix going, becoming a children's entertainer. Right. <laughs> I was like, I thought, oh, is this like a cover for him to do an exorcism? <laughs> but no, no, he is just literally there doing, uh, being a children's Magic. entertainer. Mm-hmm. And there just turns out to be some bratty kids who he like uses his ghostly powers on to. And like scares them. the fuck out of them. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> and then all through the book, I was like, oh my God, they better get back to that scene or I'll be so annoyed if that right. is. And... Oh, it turns out the father was a cop, so yeah, can pull that favor. And that was like one of the things father. that was very devis- divisive, right? Yeah, that felt super formulaic. Mm-hmm. Didn't it? Yeah, uh, that that was tough going for me. I have to say, in general, this book, <laughs> I don't want to read it again. I don't really want to read anything else. <laughs> Aren't you glad you bought a hot, hard copy of it? Though <laughs> I'm not even sure I want to give this to Goodwill. <laughs> But if you do get the hard copy, uh, pretty much you can, like, the whole the whole thing gets explained in three pages <laughs> on, like, about page 430. Just read those three pages, and it's just, like, a complete dump of exposition. <laughs> and, like, this is how it all happened. You just read that, and, you, and that's, that's all you need. <laughs> all right, so three future points. I don't really want to read anything more. Like, I think for people who aren't <laughs> as sensitive mm-hmm. as me to, or, or sensitive or as bothered by, by sloppy writing as me, I think there's definitely some interesting plot points and interesting ideas in there that I think feel like they will get developed in future. But for me, I just can't really get over that, his writing style. Right. I, I wrote as my first point, um, wouldn't mind reading the future books as a side option. So if I had like nothing else to read and I was curious about what happened, mm, then I'd yeah. probably pick it up, but it wouldn't be a priority for me to read. Like if someone gave it to you as a Christmas gift, you probably wouldn't. Yeah. You wouldn't mind. Went, oh yeah, mm-hmm. maybe I'll read that. But thank you, Sam. Like, I, like as much as I was bitching and moaning about it, <laughs> like it was, it was interesting to read something completely out of my wheelhouse. You know, like I probably never would have chosen to read that before. So, you know, despite me not actually liking it in the end, I like the process. And also, I really liked reading it, knowing that I'll have to talk about it. So, like, I actually had to pay attention. And I even, like, had a... <laughs> always had, like, a little uh, pack of sticky flags. Mm-hmm. Like, so I was marking paragraphs in the book. Um, and then 
I sort of wrote out some things. Um, nice. So maybe I'll transfer this into a blog post since this is like pretty much wrote itself. Yeah, I could see this the the book being like a, a fairly decent TV show or a movie. It could if they don't let Mike Carey write it. Yeah. So let's reveal the new book for this fortnight's book club. A book by Stephen Pressfield, who is famous for writing The Legend of Bag of Vance. Mm. But we are not going to read that. We're going to read The War of Art. Break through the blocks and win your inner creative battles. So it is not fiction, <laughs> in case that wasn't apparent. Uh, it is Stephen talking about the creative process that he kind of goes through and the sort of inner t- battle that he fights uh, while writing a novel. So if I read you a little blurb from the back. In this powerful, straight-from-the-hip examination of the internal obstacles to success, best-selling author Stephen Pressfield shows readers how to identify, defeat, and unlock the inner battles to creativity. The War of Art is an inspirational, funny, and well-aimed kick in the pants, guaranteed to galvanize every would-be artist, visionary, or entrepreneur. Uh, it's a pretty short book. It's about 100... 160 pages. Excellent. I, I checked the audiobook, I think comes in about three hours. Full disclosure, I have read this book before. Okay. But this was several years ago, and I want to reread it. You kind of talking a little bit about your procrastination mm-hmm. stuff. I was like, this could be helpful for both of us. Oh, you're so thoughtful. Well, thank well, you. Know, you. Do what I can. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but don't you worry, I'm going to get you back for <laughs> the devil you know when you least expect it. So have you watched any good TV shows this week? I uh, watched... Have you watched... Okay, let me rephrase that, because that was a leading question. Uh, <laughs> what what TV shows have you watched this week, Sam? I watched a little episode. Actually, I watched... I watched two shows. Okay. Two episodes so, and two shows. Okay, do you want to start with the second one? I watched Making a Murderer. I don't know if you've heard of that show. I have heard about it. Yeah. It is the serial for this year. It is. It's super stressful. I figured out that it's actually the perfect... Um, show to work out with because there's so much aggression that builds from me watching it. Well, you can channel that into <laughs> I can, like a workout. I channel it into like 50 push-ups. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I've been slowly watching it but I can't watch it for more than 30 minutes because I get so aggravated at um, some of the stuff that's happening on that show. One of like the execs at uh, Netflix was saying they were, they were totally surprised by the success oh, of really? Making a Murderer. Yeah, I think mm. he was saying, you know, they were like, oh, okay, well, you know, We'll fund you. It might be a nice little, might win a few awards here and there, but, you know, they weren't expecting much from it. And now it's blown up into this huge thing. Oh, that's good. So, like, yeah, they were not expecting that. Which is always, it's really interesting. Just no one knows anything Mm. uh, is a quote that people often attribute to, like, the movie uh, or the Hollywood system Mm -hmm. or the TV uh, production system. And that's super true. Right. Uh, In fact, there's a whole episode about it on the script notes podcast (laughs) where a lot of people think that it means nobody knows anything (laughs) but what it what it actually means is no one knows anything right like the emphasis is on like i know this is going to be a hit or i know this is Mm. not going to work like that's what that's the that's the actual meaning of the of the saying and the guy who wrote it like that's what he meant so yeah that's just really interesting that even netflix didn't think that making a murder was going to be a hit because they've certainly spent a ton of money on different shows that haven't done well. Like one example being Marco Polo, which I think was one of the most expensive shows ever produced. Mm. Something like $9 million per episode. Wow. Wow. That's a hell of a lot. 
they're trying to go on the success of Game of Thrones. Mm. And yeah, I I watched a few episodes. That alone <laughs> will tell you that I wasn't that captivated by it. Right, I and they just released another thirty minutes. Uh, show like in the same universe I'm not sure if it's the same characters mm. or not. yeah I think I saw like the the banner head for it on Netflix but wasn't mm. too interested in watching it since I hadn't watched the series yeah I, uh, it didn't grab me either yeah me too speaking of didn't grab me let's watch let's uh, talk about the expanse <gasps> Sam <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay so after the after talking about the expanse last week and realizing that pretty much all TV production shuts down over the uh, the winter vacation <laughs> um i was like uh you know what fuck it i'm just gonna buy a season pass on the expanse and i'm just gonna go for it mm-hmm. what the hey i'm all in and we have got through the first four well, the first five episodes okay and i think the sixth one was released yesterday okay so uh yeah we are four episodes uh, sorry five episodes in so you're you're all caught up to the latest yes. episode okay so do you want to do a three by three of this? I think it's a little early for me to like. I, I think we can do init- initial impressions. Okay, great. Okay, um, let's do initial impressions then. Yeah. Um, uh, how about you? How have you just watched the one episode? I watched one and a half. Okay. And then I had okay. to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I realized I oversold it by saying it's the next Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's get that out up front. This is not the next Battlestar Galactica. No. Like, do not have that expectation at all, because right. you will be disappointed. <laughs> so, Battlestar Galactica, for me, is probably one of the best TV shows ever created. Yes, yes, I I have no qualms with you saying that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Expanse is not one of the best TV shows ever created. Well, yet. I mean, it's only been going for, what, four or five episodes? So sure. It's early days. But for me, if I had just compare apples to apples... Because we know you sure as hell won't be eating an orange. (laughs) After the first episode of Battlestar Galactica, or come to think of it like, you know, any of the shows that I've recently watched that I very much enjoyed, after the first episode, it usually grabs me. Yeah. And the first episode of The Expanse didn't grab me. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Um... I think I had a I had a slightly better reaction, like the fact that we were then you know binged through the next four or five episodes mm-hmm. meant that I would say I'm enjoying it, mm. and to an extent I'm gripped. I'm like mildly hugged, should we say? Are any buttons <laughs> popping off of your shirts? <laughs> there are no buttons popping off my shirt, but I'm quite enjoying it. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay that out there, but it is not without fault. Yeah. So one of the biggest issues that I had initially off the bat was Mm -hmm. just how one-dimensional the characters were, um, especially on that ship. It took me a while to work out who was who. But it was so obvious who was who. (laughs) There is a young, strapping, heroic XO who's reluctant to be the XO, who's shagging the hottest person who happens (laughs) to be the good-natured navigator that's on the ship. I mean... (laughs) Uh, even the pilot is like has this strange accent. And oh, what is that? Yeah, there's a lot of like South African accents. To me, this. it sounded like a Texan accent, and he looked Indian. Yes, quirky and reluctant doctor who's a know-it-all. Mm-hmm. 
the soldier guy who's all about the rules. Raw. <laughs> yes. Oh, I rolled my eyes. And you have the renegade British woman as well, who's like a bit, uh, bit mouthy. Oh, right. That's right. Did you get as far? Do they have like the UN yep. assembly? Yes. So the most interesting she- character for me was like that that lady with the with the voice. Oh, she's amazing. Yeah. Yes. The characters aren't fantastic yet. Yeah. Yeah. I'll agree to that. But like, I quite liked how the threads were woven together. Like, you don't really get much in the first episode, but by by like now four or five episodes in, like mm-hmm. you are starting to see the strands connecting. And that's becoming quite interesting. There's like a sort of a micro story, so like the missing girl story, and then you get like the uh, the larger uh, spaceship investigating this distress call story, and then right. you also get like the political, like the uh, sort of solar system spanning political system mm-hmm. story. Um, so you kind of get these different like sizes, as it were, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I quite like. What are the production values? Like, I think the lighting is really... There's a lot of blue and white. Mm-hmm. And, like, they've cranked up the contrast a lot in, in post-production. And yeah. I don't love that. And I think that's a, that's done on purpose. It's just sort of show... Yeah. And, and like, the Belter area where it's artificial light. Mm-hmm. And things yes. are not supposed to be as pleasant. There, It does feel like, because of the lighting, they're breathing artificial air that's been filtered tons of times and drinking water that's been filtered a ton of times. Um, so I thought that aspect was pretty cool. Um, the set design and the ships and the graphics, I thought while the production of it's really good, I thought the design of it seemed like uh, an interpolated view of what the future was maybe ten from like 10 years ago. Because, mm, yeah, we should say this is set 200 years in the future. Right. So it wasn't... Um, to me it wasn't already it just seemed not so believable in a way in, in a sense it seemed like it was something that's been done before mm-hmm. it's, yes and it also didn't feel 200 years in the future yeah like they still have iPhones but they're just a sheet of glass mm-hmm. in 200 years we won't be carrying around a sheet of glass right. that's like we'll be dropping or forgetting to charge or anything like that and actually my one of the things that does drive me crazy is that in 200 years of technological uh, advancement, they still haven't worked out how to get people to talk to each other in spacesuits without <laughs> without it sounding like a 20th century radio. <laughs> that right. drives me insane. You're yeah. like, really? Like voice like communication? Like cell sounds like you're talking to each other on a fucking radio? <laughs> yeah, so to me, if I were to describe it, um, you know how if you see visions of the future that are drawn in the 80s? <laughs> right that obviously still feel like they're from the 80s and like and not going to be the future at all yeah that's what this yes. seems like it <laughs> seems like it's a vision of the future but from like the 90s or like the 2000s uh music is a little underwhelming as well is a little the soundtrack is really functional like it's it's well made mm-hmm. it has but like there's nothing particularly interesting about it like it, it serves its purpose but no more you know yeah which I think is a bit of a shame like I would have liked it to be like to push it and make it more futuristic perhaps and make it more like having its own identity you're like hey this is what this show sounds like right you know and that's actually a really good reminder I should actually start paying attention to to the music a bit more since you bring it up so Sam will you continue to watch The Expanse uh, as it stands I will not continue well since I paid for the season pass I'm <laughs> damn well gonna watch it <laughs> And I'm going to pretend to like it. <laughs> I'll try up to the fifth episode. And if it doesn't draw me in, I'm, I think I'll stop at that point. 
Yeah, that's that's fair enough. What was the great tweet that friend of the show Drew Peterson tweeted <laughs> that like hooks up so many themes of our show? Oh, right. Is it golfing has more plots than the Expanse <laughs> and is an actual Expanse? <laughs> Although that was overheard, so perhaps Drew, we can't give, we Drew, can't give credit Drew credit for for writing that, but for for recording it certainly. But I think the people because like this, it's based on a novel. Yes. Um, it and it's a pseudonym of two people. And they've like written they've released a book every year for the last five or six years. Mm. So I think that's a really interesting dynamic. Like I want to know more about them and that whole process. Like how they actually managed to crank out a book every 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 year. And it's also interesting to have like two people working under a single pseudonym. Maybe that happens more often than I think, but that's like the first I think that's the first time I've heard of it happening. Right. That was just like an interesting setup. I was like, oh, I kind of want to know more about this. Huh. Yeah, I mean, isn't it sort of like the way people ghostwrite, though? Like one person is the idea mm. person, one person is the, implement, is the actual implementer. Yeah, that seems like how it would be set up, doesn't so it? So maybe one person has like the vision of the world and just says, and then this character does this. And then <laughs> right. strolling around the room smoking a cigar. Right. And the other guy's like type, frantically typing away at the typewriter. <laughs> Um, there's an amazing TV movie with John Lithgow and James Woods, and they are a screenwriting duo. Mm-hmm. I think it was made in like the mid, the early mid nineties. Mm. And John Lithgow, thought, another person yes. with a big head. <gasps> he does have a big head. Oh my god! <laughs> would he? Would he scrape the top five? I don't think so. He is actually no. a fairly tall person. Right, so it kind of evens out. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because I went through a big John Lithgow phase mm-hmm. when I was younger, and like wanted to watch everything he was in. And I think this movie was shown like really late at night on some obscure channel, and I just like I videoed it. I had it on VHS, so that was how long ago it was. Mm. And it was it was a made for TV movie, and I don't think it's. I'm not even sure how you'd get it nowadays. A quick search says it is either the boys or the yes, guys. The boys. Oh, yes. So I think in England it was called The Boys. Gotcha. And then I think in other markets it was perhaps The Guys. Oh, this is an awesome movie. I kind of want to make you watch it. <laughs> if I can find out. If I can find it anywhere. So let me see if Amazon has it. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's funny, isn't it? You're like, where do, thing, where, do, where do films go to die? That's a shame. How do I see this nowadays? I don't know. I assume it'd be in some like discount DVD thing. Just trawl the the, uh, the gas stations yeah. of northern New Jersey. Yeah, can't find it on Amazon. Not even on DVD. Right. Mm. Perhaps we'll need to search for more nefarious methods for <laughs> obtaining this. I'm searching the Pirate Bay now. No, not even there. Wow. Yeah. See, like this is like this is super hipster right now, Sam. Yeah. Welcome to my world. <laughs> it's so hipster, it doesn't even exist anymore. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, there are so many good movies in the 90s that no one really knows about. Um, for example, have you ever watched a movie called The Young Sherlock Holmes? No, no, I haven't. It's a great movie from the 90s, um, directed by Christopher Columbus, or Chris Columbus, <laughs> not, not the discoverer <laughs> yes. of the United States, or discoverer of America, rather. <laughs> he didn't discover the United States. <laughs> I've been thinking about it recently because um, Chris Columbus actually directed... Harry Potter, the first mm, Harry Potter, and there are so many similarities between the young Sherlock Holmes and Harry Potter. Maybe, maybe uh, another topic for another show. Perhaps we could have movie club alternating on the weeks we don't have book club. Right. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. 
the rate this show is going, we don't lack for material. <laughs> yeah. What are some of the new things that you've done in the past week? I have deliberately listened to Justin Bieber. It's amazing, isn't it? Um, it was much like Carly Rae Jepsen. It was not as unpleasant as I thought it was going to be. Right. That is a general consensus. Also, like going to get your teeth cleaned at the dentist. <laughs> you feel so much better after it's done. <laughs> well, I guess that's where that metaphor falls down. <laughs> or simile falls down. Well. Um, yeah, so I listened to Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I quite liked actually mm. um, doesn't really go anywhere or do anything but like as a as a thing I mean it's just got crazy amounts of listens on Spotify yeah it's like 350 million listens right and I think just ugh, ridiculous Brooklyn is actually one of the most popular places that has streamed the most amount of times of Justin Bieber that particular album and then I also listened to um, I Don't Understand what's the one where he doesn't understand um, is, that, is that one See, the problem with me is I don't, nothing is really memorable for me on that album. Did Justin Bieber make it into your top artists last year? Not at all. What do you mean? <laughs> That's, oh, okay, there you go. Yeah, that is the one song that I actually really like. Which has been streamed 427,000 times. No, 427 million yeah. times. I was like, 427,000 is actually quite low. <laughs> so Bieber, would I listen again? Um, Maybe, maybe. Yeah, I think I had two solid listens through the album and i was okay with that mm, okay and then you went back to carly then i went straight back to carly ray jepson <laughs> but have i started like this new pop thing with you now like are you consciously listening to more pop now that i've opened your eyes perhaps a little bit yeah yeah who shall i listen to next um but you can name anyone because i wouldn't have listened to them so that's okay <laughs> Who who have I liked recently? Um, like, I think only in the last few weeks I heard the Hotline Bling song. So, oh, really? Yeah, you go, that's yeah. a great track. Yeah. That is that that was actually that is actually quite a good track. Yeah, great. I quite enjoyed that. Let's see, yeah. what did I say? But I don't. I couldn't tell you another Drake song. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should listen to Drake. Perhaps I've just answered my own question. Uh, Drake, yeah, his album is pretty good. Um, also, my favorite bird, <laughs> the Drake bird. I think it's a kind of duck, I believe. Mallard is a close second. Mallard? The Mallard yeah. duck? Yeah. Mm. That is a good duck. It is, <laughs> it is one of the most preppiest of ducks. Uh, Sam, what, what, what new things have you done this week? So, this actually happened a couple of weeks ago. I uh, wanted okay. to mention it because uh, it just popped back into memory. Uh, okay. This year, with the new year, I actually did my first annual eFamily 360 reviews. That sounds an intriguing mix of a personal and corporate <laughs> kind of exercise. So I've been thinking, if I'm going to run my family, why not run in like a, a smooth running startup? <laughs> that is quite ingenious. Do you have a Kanban board for all the tasks that has to happen during the week? You know, I will once they start reading. <laughs> I'm glad you're starting them early. That's good. Because it, it makes total sense. Like if we can tie it into some sort of reward of something that they want, Oh my god, that does work. Uh, whether it's like snack or like a TV show, but the Kanban board could be like... Um, Sam, this should be a book. This feels like you've just written a best-selling book on parenting. Start up, start up your family? Yes, <laughs> yes. Right, because every morning you can have like the stand-ups, right? AKA waking them up. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, this totally works. Yeah. And then the post-day resyncs, right? 
where you yeah. share how much activity have you've done. What did you do yesterday? What did you do yesterday? Yeah. And did you get something accomplished? Cool. Let's work yeah. on that tomorrow. What problems did you have doing that? Exactly. How can I unblock you? Or- <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I want to be the best soccer player. Okay, let's get rid of those roadblocks. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so what's a 360? 360 is a type of review where you review your peers and your peers review you. So also the 360 nature is you review them and they review you. Right. Mainly the 360 is there in a manager slash employee relationship. Okay. So the idea is that you would review down and then down would review up and all around. Mm, I see. And also like versus peers, hence the 360 Mm -hmm. term. Mm, Um, I see. But because mainly it was just me and my wife, I guess it was more like a 180. Right, it turns out these like two-year-olds are no good at giving critical feedback. Right, like when, and I tried to make it simple. I, I stuck it to a structure where there couldn't be really any negative negativity because I could call it bitterness and resentment. <laughs> mm-hmm. That seems wise, yes. Right, so I broke it down to three um, memorable good things that that person has done this year that you were very mm-hmm. sort of proud of. And then um, one thing to be mindful of in the coming year. Oh, that's so nice. Right. So Wow, that's such an awesome idea. So it's not pinpointed to like a particular instance of <laughs> this time you were <laughs> you like fucked a complete up. asshole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> would you like to hear what I got back as my uh, oh. three good things? Yes, I would. And this is from my wife, uh, bless her. The first thing is that I was very good with my kids in terms of patience. Oh. And I felt I found that surprising as I find myself not being too patient from time to time but maybe just more patient than her or perhaps you're just more out outwardly patient than you <laughs> internally explosive like inside right? you're like in a flaming rage i'm like you reading that book <laughs> <laughs> the second one is that uh it, it appeared like i had a good work-life balance and uh maintaining the stability of um you know the balance between having fun versus mm-hmm. working which I oh, thought good. was good. Yeah, that's an easy easy one to fall down on, I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, um, that also goes along with the third one, which is she was very happy that I was happy at work. Oh, yeah, that's nice. That's great. And then the thing yeah. that... Uh, thanks, Spotify. <laughs> thanks, Spotify. Not sponsored by Spotify. <laughs> no, not uh, at least not yet not yet right oh my god i really want to cut in that piano music do 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 want less ads in your music upgrade to spotify premium today get a three-month free trial with offer code is this the show do 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 wow do. considering that you you um haven't been working with the ads platform for a while you <laughs> right know that very well <laughs> we should do a link to that that japanese kid who did like all the variations on using the spotify ad music oh really i haven't heard that did you see this no oh my god okay oh sorry we're getting off to- off to- off topic though um let's wrap up this before we go down the rabbit hole okay and then the one thing to be mindful is that there's always stuff that needs to be done in the house so mm. be mindful of that because a lot of times <laughs> if i see Oh, yeah, there's the couch. I'm just going to lie down and browse my phone. My wife sort of comes by and asks me what the fuck I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) There's always stuff that could be done around the house. That reminds me of the time I worked in retail. And and my boss would always say, if you've got time to lean, it's time to clean. 
<laughs> so you can tell your wife that if you want if she needs like a little catchy memorable thing to yell at you <laughs> i i also did one more new thing this week uh i found out there was an area of hipsterdom that i had yet not explored and that is raw denim so what is the difference between raw denim and normal denim that's used for jeans well now bear with me because i'm still a newbie in this in this crazy world like <laughs> I, I just went down like there's this cr- crazy rabbit hole of like there's like message boards and forums and youtube videos and all the rest of it so as far as i can tell uh the raw denim uh comes uh like pretty much untreated if you get the good stuff well this is up for discussion but stuff that's not Mm pre-shrunk so you kind of have to go and shrink it yourself and then it starts losing its dye Mm. and you start to get like the worn effect right but it's completely tailored to your life and how you've like that's that's a, the, like this romantic notion that they keep coming back to like all these like uh stress seams and like fades and like uh details it's all because of your life and the way you live <laughs> as these genes are personalized to you which i got a little bit swept up in because you know how i'm like a hopeless romantic so <laughs> like, like, yeah, that's yes. amazing it's me yeah you have to like order a size up mm-hmm. so then you get in a hot bath for like 20 to 30 minutes with the jeans with the jeans on yeah just you and the jeans uh and then they shrink down to fit you and then you have to like let them air dry and then you can go about wearing them and then you don't wash them and you can't wash them ever as well that's the other thing like um again this is a huge area of debate (laughs) but generally don't wash it for the first six months yeah so this week i've been bathing in my jeans (laughs) (laughs) While reading Felix Castor. And- oh my god, you know what I did? Because <laughs> I was like, what am I going to do for like 30 minutes? It's like, I don't use my phone because I'm just going to drop uh, it in the bath. I was like, oh, this book. All right, fine, I'll read this. This fucking book. My favorite part of the entire show is choosing what <laughs> bit goes right at the very end. 